Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit. I'm your host, Brian Bikey. Joining me tonight, as always, as usual, we have Ryan and Kenny. How's it going, guys? Doing well, Brian. One of these times, it's going to be someone else on here. <laughs> it will be. You know, I'm, I'm trying to find that right, that right balance of, of, of who I'm going to mention being on the show. But for right now, yeah, you guys just got back rather recently from uh, Colorado, isn't that right? We sure did. Yeah, we had a good opportunity to go out there and select some barrels with our partners and our friends at, from the round table and over at Old Elk and kind of get a lay of the land about what's happening out there. And I think that might also play into a good theme of what we're talking about tonight because, you know, Ryan's, I love Ryan, his personality. He's so damn persistent and everything. It's, it's, uh, we got a chance to really hang out with their CEO for a good bit of time. And my gosh, talk about a smart guy. Well, how old is he? He's in his same age as me. He's 30, yeah. 36. 36. CEO, he's been at, you know, he's had executive leadership positions at a bunch of other kind of like Fortune 100 companies. And then he's blowing our minds on stuff. And Ryan's like, so you, can you buy us out or like what? <laughs> I'm like, uh, can you cash flow this thing for me? Can I pick your brain? Can we do a 5.30 a.m. spreadsheet talk? You know. <laughs> Picking brains, spreadsheets, You like you said, it, it rolls right into what we're talking about today. And we're going to talk about financial modeling. What I want to talk about is what it has taken to get the brand to where it is today or or what it, it's forecasted to take to take the brand even further, right? So we we've, have mentioned on the shows before uh, a little bit of what it took to get started. And we've mentioned before about, you know, being ahead in the game a little bit, you know, people who are, who are going to want to start their brands right now, that's where they are. They're right now. They're a couple years behind where some of the other folks we're seeing on the market come to market were, you know, they were a couple years back like you all as well. Uh, but it's more than just the product side. It is related to the product side. It's more than the timelines and getting through all that with the physical inventory but we have to model this out and we have to get a lot of money, I would assume, in a lot of different places. Why don't you guys take it over from there? How, how much time you got, buddy? <laughs> I've got all night. I've got all day. We were we spent first part of uh, fundraising going through and looking through everybody's couches and just seeing what kind of coins we could scrap up to kind of throw throw at this. But now you're t- you're totally right. I mean, we've we've said it a million times, and and I know we I'll probably keep saying it again. Is it is a very capital intensive business. It is something that isn't lightly taken, especially when the literally the cheapest thing, the absolute bare minimum cheapest thing that you can buy as a new fill barrel is probably like five hundred bucks, and that's depending on that's probably not even a Kentucky bourbon at that point. It's probably some somewhere from somewhere else maybe in Indiana. And that's, it's probably up to 750 or a thousand now. I don't know, but you just have to take that and think about, okay, well, what's that mean when you take this up to, you know, 500 barrels, a thousand barrels, 10,000 barrels and, and so on. It does, it definitely starts compounding. And for us, when we started looking at, well, what do we really want? It all became back to, well, what do we really, what do we want our scale point to be? And so that's kind of where, you know, Brian, as you had mentioned, where does the financial modeling come in? So hopefully some people pay attention to this and it's not going to be a bunch of bourbon talk, but it's really going to be about forecasting and future and kind of figuring out what does this look like? And it's always been one of those things that from the bourbon pursuit side is 
you know, we've talked to plenty of people in the industry and it's, we've always had the same question. It's like, so how are you predicting 10 years out? Like, how do you look in your crystal ball? And we've been able to kind of pick up a, a few nuggets on how that all kind of works as well. But for us, we looked at our readily inventory of single barrels and we said, okay, we have this. That's cool. And then we came out with the first United product. And this was not even when the United Rye was available. It was United Bourbon. And we started kind of putting the pieces together. And once we started putting the pieces together and we realized that we had a product, we said, this is great. Now we have to replicate this and scale it. And that's really becomes where the, the, the issue comes in. Well, first is it's hard to scale a product that you're building on four to five and six-year-old source juice because nobody wants to sell you four, five, six-year-old product anymore. They want to keep it for themselves, which is, I mean, totally understandable. So you start figuring out, all right, well, we want to make this a sustainable product for ourselves. And the only way to be able to do that is to do it through new fill. And we did a few different things. I remember we started looking through. So we, we know the ratio of the percentages of the barrels that go into what we consider a united blend. And our united blend at the very base of it starts at 10 barrels. And that gets here somewhere around 2,000 bottles. So from there, I just did some simple spreadsheet calculations. And I said, all right, we have this sort of ratio, this you know one-to-many ratio you start scaling this up and say, all right, we have 2,000 bottles. We need this many barrels. We want 100,000 bottles. How many barrels of each do we need? And that's when we started trying to figure things out. And a lot of this was also kind of a, a learning curve for us because when we went to Bardstown Bourbon Company and I think we were like, yeah, can we get like a, you know, 100, 150 new fill barrels? And they're like, well, our minimum run is 300. And we said, all right, back to the drawing board. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and, and that's okay. Like, that's great because it's, it, you, you want to make sure you save that for clients that are, you know, really serious and, and kind of drive volume with it. And that was really our baseline. It said, okay, well, we have to get to a minimum of 300 and we know what this is going to cost us. So where is this going to go? And so that's where we did a bunch of different forecasts to say, all right, if we did this, at 300 barrels and we had uh, Finger Lakes at this many barrels and our other Tennessee partner at this many barrels, well, what does this get us? Um, And I felt very comfortable with what the outcome is because that at that point, you're looking at not only just getting the new fill, but when it becomes of age and you dump it and you want to put it in bottles, well, what is your projected revenue? And not only just the revenue, because revenue doing one time is great, but you have to take that revenue and you've got to invest it back into the business because you have to continually fill new barrels every single year. And I think that's probably, and I'll, I'll, I've been rambling on, I'll kind of let Ryan take over a little bit here, is that's sort of the, the cyclical pattern that you get sort of stuck in is that you need money for today, but you also need money for tomorrow. And then it's- it, it And cont- tomorrow it's a- and tomorrow yeah. and tomorrow <laughs> and tomorrow for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like, and two, you figure out, okay, all right, I got all this barrel cost, you know, just barrels, and then you start adding up storage fees and insurance and bottling fees and the federal excise tax on those bottlings and then the labels, the this and that, and you're like, starts all adding up. And then problem is, is, you know, we're in a 
tough position because we did try to go out on a limb and, you know, make something that's unique and interesting. And it's kind of constrained us in the fact that there's just only so much inventory of these products that we like for the next two to three years. And so the problem is we're constrained on how much inventory we have and how much we can release and how much we can sell to put money back into the business to grow it, you know, for the future. And so where does that void fill? Well, invest, you know, how do you fill that void with investors? And, and then you got to try to figure out, well, how much do we want to go into debt? <laughs> do we want to give any money away or give, I'm not giving money away, but giving part of the company away, or do we want to give high interest, you know, back to investors to keep an equity and so we're kind of going down that path of like what's best, you know, in the short term and the long term. Um, and so you're just kind of on this hamster wheel. And then the math like doesn't work in your favor till about year six or seven is where it starts to turn. But, you know, to get there, it's very daunting because you just don't have those sales to to fund your purchases for the future right now. And so whereas someone, you know, that can source from MGP or five to six year Barton, you can say like, well, we can scale now too, because there's a lot of product readily available. So we can take investor money now, give them return very quickly while we grow the scale to provide revenue for our future. And they still too probably have taken investors on, but we kind of put ourselves in a little pickle just to get through, uh, you know, the first six to seven years. But we think in the long run, it's the best play because we do have something unique and we worked very hard and uh, we have a great story behind it and we believe in it and we think it's best for a brand position long-term, but definitely is, you know, kind of uh, constrained the, our ability to scale it at this point and fund it by ourselves. Yeah. I think that's one of the, one of the key points that you brought up there, Ryan, was if we had, this is, I've always said that I really wish we would have created some widget that we could have manufactured over in China and then we could sell it tomorrow. That would be the like the greatest thing that we could be able to do, but whiskey just doesn't do that. And for us, it takes time to be able to scale this. Whereas some other folks who have built their brands off MGP, yeah, you can go buy four or five year MGP today. You can, you're going to pay a little bit more because it's H stock, but you can get it and you can sell it tomorrow. Like you have a quicker turnaround. When I say tell it tomorrow, I meant it's probably like three to six months down the line, but you don't have to wait for or six years to be able to do it. So you have an opportunity to be able to do that. And you can sort of get that money in the door now to start helping out the cost that you're going to be investing back into the business into scaling that up as well as scaling up to put down your own new fill barrels. And so for us, what we've been able to do is actually haven't been able to do is we have sold out of everything that we possibly could. And then we wait for the next year to go and bottle it again. And it's still not enough to offset the cost of what we are wanting to put down a new make because that's really where the scale is going to start coming in. But we're, we're also excited to be able to make that happen. And thank God we've you know got the partnerships that we do with Barstown Bourbon Company and Sagamore Spirit and Finger Lakes and our other Tennessee distilling partner to be able to make sure that that happens. And they're very willing and open to to say, you know, how much more do you want? <laughs> do you want more barrels? Uh, we can we can keep going. Thankfully, we've we've kind of, you know, back to that sort of like forecasting that modeling, looking at, you know, how far down the line is it going to take until we can actually pay ourselves? And that's really the hard thing. We've, I think Ryan said it before, like we've stayed up 
at night, like not sleeping for a while, looking at the spreadsheet and then looking at all these, Ryan calls them valleys. I just see a, a bunch <laughs> of spreadsheet cells that have uh, minus numbers next to them in red and says like, okay, this is where we're going to be in a little bit of trouble because we're not going to have any money to pay for this stuff, but we'll get through it. I know we'll get through it somehow. And and that's a, it's a scary situation, you know, when you're, you know, investing and taking on, you know, a million plus dollars every single year to sort of make that happen. But there is that we, we had to figure out, well, where's, how comfortable we're going to be. But as I'd mentioned before, when we started looking at the spreadsheet, we're not gonna be able to pay ourselves back or even pay ourselves until about 2028. And that is, that's the harsh reality of what it is. People might be thinking, oh, you're crushing it. You're doing good. Like you guys are, you know, you're out there just hammering the streets and you're just, you know, you're doing everything right. It doesn't feel that way because uh, we haven't seen a dime of this. Everything that we've done is either investing it back into the company. And what's going to happen is that once we are able to start scaling around 2025, 2026, the money that comes from those bottles doesn't go to us. That goes back to paying back investors. And that cycle happens for a few more years after that as well. So it's a it's a continual vicious cycle where we have to take care of the people that are investing in the company before we can actually pay ourselves. Open that up a little bit. You, you've mentioned it a couple of times and in, in kind of right there too, you were talking about, you know, over a million dollars, you know, each year in that. Talk about what you're doing in order to to get what you all need to to get going, you know, raising capital, bringing other investors in. What does that look like for you all? I'll let Ryan kind of handle that one because he's our he's our, our chief fundraising officer. Yeah, it's basically begging. Do you make cookies everywhere? <laughs> yeah, bourbon, bourbon cookies. <laughs> no, but I have bought. So I've what I've done is gone and bought pretty much any bottle I can and go out and just. I have a lot. I have a. I've been fortunate in my other. You know, my lawn care business. I have a lot of. I guess what you say, wealthy individuals and just people I've known and met throughout my lifetime. I've been blessed by just meeting so many awesome entrepreneur type people that have made it, you know, they've done very well, but they're now willing to, you know, take a chance on me and Kenny because they see like a little bit of themselves, you know, where they were say 20, 30 years ago. And so I've just reached out to those folks that have been mentors to me that I've had family, close friends, you know, and they believe in me and the product. And so we're, we're going out and I'm, what we're doing is saying, Hey, we'll take on a hundred thousand. We'll give you a hundred barrels as collateral in four and four to five years. When we dump and bottle it, we'll give you 170,000 back. And that's what we've kind of been doing for now. Um, and that's been great and it's working. So it's been working well. And, uh, so far we're able to find the investments to, to sustain that. Now we're just kind of trying to navigate, you know, is that the best model for us moving forward? And it may be, um, you know, there's a lot of people that with equity offers or this or that, or partnerships that we can entertain and see what's best for the brand. But yeah, it's just right now, it's just me just going on the people that I, I can trust and they trust me because too, you don't want people that giving you money and they're like every two weeks, Hey, how those barrels coming? You know, <laughs> we, we ready to bottle them and put them, put them, get my money back, you know, but, uh, yeah, so far I've been really blessed and just, I'll keep pounding the pavement to, to do this. Cause I do believe in it and I have a lot of people that believe in us. And so that too, I, I buy bottles and let them try it and they taste it. And they're like, wow, 
for a four to five year whiskey, this is really excellent stuff. I think you're onto something. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that we're going to, we're kind of, we've always been evaluating what it's going to take to be able to kind of take this to the next level. And, you know, like I said, hats off to Ryan. He, we kind of figured out an early model where we didn't want to give up any equity in the company. It's, it's a lot easy to, you know, easy to kind of say, okay, we'll give up a percentage to bring on some money and everything like that. But we've been, you know, heard of situations where, you know, you're, you're basically your shares get diluted down to something. And then at some point, you know, as a founder, you could get kicked out. Why would you want to put yourself in that situation? You know, Ryan and I, have, we have a great working relationship. Granted, we can always find somebody that could be a better CFO than both of us, but that's just one of those things that we can, we can find the right people along the way to, to sort of make those decisions for us. But as we start, you know, fundraising, we'll always be figuring out what's the best way to sort of make this happen. And so we've evaluated probably nine or 10 different financial roadmaps of what does it look like to go on this current path? And what does it look like to say, all right, well, we've offered this to the our first early investors. Like we gave them a really, really good return, probably way better than you're ever going to see in any stock market analysis of the past 10 years of, of how good the returns are. So it's like, okay, we gave that to the first kind of early birds. Like, do we need to dial this back a little bit? Uh, do we need to start figuring out, well, do we do, I think it was, uh, we had a few people that said, well, taking something out of Shark Tank, what is, what is a, uh, what's a gun out of residual? Royalties look like. Royalty. Yeah. Like what's a royalty deal look like? Like how do we, how do we take the money up front, pay a dollar on every bottle that's sold until you get your money back and then you get X percent. There's been a lot of different unique ways that we could look of, of kind of divvying this up, but we also want to make sure that we aren't, (laughs) you know, we're already getting gray hair. I don't think we need to put a, a ton more stress on us, but I think, and I feel that the the best path forward is to is to kind of keep going the way we're going until the right offer and the right person comes along that we can, we know that we could bring in as a as a potential equity partner. But even then, it would have to be something that is pretty substantial to make us probably want to uh, go that route because we have a a pretty good roadmap of what this is looking like until twenty thirty two. After twenty thirty two, we know that we're not paying back any investors. It's just us. And we can kind of run the business as is. And we have the, it's just like a continual cog. We know exactly how much we need to order in regards to materials. We know exactly how many barrels we're going to dump. We know how many bottles precisely we're going to get out of it. We're, you know, what our, we know what our profit's going to be on it. And we know when we have to go and reinvest that into more barrels. And then what we can take as a salary at the end of the year. And so that's sort of, we know that but that time isn't going to come till 2032. <laughs> that's that's a while away. And so that's why we have to look at all these different opportunities to say, okay, if somebody's going to come in and they're going to provide some capital for this and they're going to take X percentage, well, maybe that gets us to our goal one to two years earlier. Is it worth it? Maybe, maybe not. It's just one of those things that thankfully Ryan is deeply Zen-like and he thinks about these very very, uh, very critically. And so he's got a, a very good outlook in regards of, okay, well, you know, you always have to find that, that balance of what would you want to, you always have to give up something in, in every situation. Yeah. There's consequences and everything. And two, it's, you know, just like the blending and the whole brand aspect, just being in the podcast and having that has been another instrumental, instrumental, a vehicle for just learning even the finance side. So like we have a Rolodex of people that have been through this, you know, they've done this before. And so who am I calling? 
you know, everybody that we've interviewed that I know that's, you know, started, you know, in the sourcing game and contract distilled and this and that, and they, they've made it. And, and, you know, you talk to each one of them and there's 10 different ways to do it. And we're going through those 10 different, and they all have, there's great things about them and there's bad things about them. And so you just kind of got to do a cost benefit analysis and try to figure out, you know, what's your comfort level? What's a, what do you think's the most realistic outcome and what's going to be best long-term for the brand? And that's what we're kind of navigating right now. And we, we have a pretty good idea of what that means, but you know, we're just kind of exploring each different option. And we're very fortunate too, because of how successful we've been early on that we do have interest, you know, in opportunities and options to do this where, you know, a lot of brands that don't have, you know, they're just kind of starting, you know, having to spend a ton on marketing or this or that, trying to convince people to buy their product. Whereas we're, you know, we're in the fortunate situation where we've kind of have a proof of concept. And so people are interested in wanting to throw money at it because they see the opportunity as well. So we just got to make it, my whole life's been about win-win, you know, scenarios. Like I'm not in it for just me. You know, I think there's an opportunity for a lot of people to win from this business, you know, and I think that's where we'd like to look from is like, how can we make it a win-win for everybody involved? And that's, yeah, the the answer will come. We'll figure it out. But <laughs> yeah. it, it's been a fun, I guess, journey to get to this point. And you do well, feel kind of like you're on Shark Tank, you know, it's like you're going up and pitching and selling and they're like, well, well, you, you sold $600,000 in bottles last year. That's kind of cute. You know, and you're like, well, I thought, uh, I thought we did really good. And, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to have those conversations and just have the opportunity to learn and grow from those conversations as well. Yeah. And I think it's also an opportunity, you know, it's called behind the pursuit. So we can be a little transparent on, on what we're doing and kind of like how far, how far this kind of takes you down the rabbit hole here. So as Ryan mentioned, so back in 2021, we had, put down, I think around $1.3 million in new fill barrels. And that was not just new fill. That was also some anywhere between one to four year barrels of age stock that we needed for the next, what, two, three years to be able to put out for United bourbon and United rye products. Right. So, so we had that, then it basically becomes a game of every single year, basically taking on about another million to be able to take care of new fill contracts from that point. So at this point, already into 2022, we're at probably around $2 million in the hole right now. But the sad part is that we have about another 6 million more to go. <laughs> and and that is, that's the scary part is that we are going to be continually putting down and, you know, as you know, we're getting money in to be able to put that money down. But as we sell the bottles that are coming in, say like once we hit 2025, that's when our initial investors will start seeing their money back. So once we get United payments back from that, we basically pay off that, but we got to bring in more money in from investors to start paying off the next thing or start putting down for other new makes. So it's a, it is a vicious cycle, as you can see, just from our small little brand, when our final scale point, we're looking at doing, what was it? 50,000 six packs or around 25,000 nine liter cases at our final scale point. That's that's a drop in the bucket for a lot of people, but you know, you're looking at at an $8 million operation of, of going into debt and then eventually kind of getting to way north, a little bit north of that to be able to have some sort of reoccurring revenue that, that takes care of it. But the, the other thing that 
to kind of also put it in perspective is that when I say we're doing 50,000 six packs, right? And we're doing, we're putting down a thousand, 1300 barrels a year, whatever, a new fill guys, you got to understand like that is what heaven Hill does in a day. So you can imagine how much money is really tied up in this business. If that's what it is for just us two, like, could you imagine doing this at scale, like of somebody that's, that's a really, really big distillery. That's, that's where you're really seeing uh, a lot of the investments start coming in. And what's the ramp like that look like? I, I think you've probably mentioned on, on past shows. I know that previously when we were talking about, and honestly, maybe it was when you all were on the the stream with, with Chad and Sarah, but you all were talking about the, the rye basically uh, doubling from what, where you all initially were going to go with a run for this next batch. Am I correct with that? Yeah. And that was sort of something that we had end up just looking at the spreadsheet and seeing like, Oh, okay, well, um, this is fun. Like we could double it, but I wonder if we could talk to our partners over at Sagamore, if they have the age product available, if they'd sell us, because we kind of got a, a really good deal. Bartstown Bourbon Company, when we said we needed some aged rye product, I think we only needed um, a handful of barrels. And we get this spreadsheet that says, hey, here's 54-year 95.5 barrels if you want them. We're like, sure, yeah, we'll we'll find some money. We'll take them. And it's, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, you know, strike while the iron's hot. It's an appreciating asset. And it we we will use them at some point whether they're single barrels or whether there's something else we will figure out what to do with them and once we had these barrels we said okay well this automatically opens up the potential to do more united rye so let's talk to sagamore and see if they have any more age product and we could start scaling that up now instead of having to wait a few years and so what's that going to require? Well, it's going to require buying more age product. That's going to require bringing on a little bit more investor money uh, to be able to to make that happen. But we feel confident in, in being able to do that. So what we were planning on doing is just doubling it. We're actually going to go, I can't, I don't even know what the word is, uh, six exit, but I don't, is it sexted? I don't really know what the, uh, what the right word is. I don't think is. it's called sex. I don't think it's sexting <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Six we, X we have is like good sex enough. tuplets and stuff like that, but I don't know. But I'm glad Kenny mentioned uh, appreciating asset. And so the one reason I'm comfortable going, <laughs> we're going $1.2 million in debt each year, six to $8 million total is that these barrels are an asset and they age or they appreciate as they age. And so it's not like, it's not like we're starting a t-shirt or a product company that say it goes south and we're stuck with six million dollars worth of inventory nobody wants the nice thing is we can always get a pickle we can sell these barrels you know on the open market to get cash reserves back you know and that, that that's one unique factor that it is a capital intensive business but it is unique in the regard that you have a collateral almost in an asset that you're building so like when we get to 2028 I mean, we'll have almost $30 million in sellable inventory. You know, it's like, that's, uh, you know, that's not that we'll sell it, but you know, that's makes us feel comfortable and investors as well, because you do have that, you know, appreciating asset that at some point, if you needed to, if, if worse came to worse and that had to happen. Yeah. But fingers crossed it doesn't. Yeah, and just for like a, a tangible thing, you know, we were talking a bit about the rye. So over the next, uh, three, four six years what is the what's the plan of scale for the united bourbon coming out is it to stay the same in order to kind of hit that 
five, six year down the road mark to do to do your next benchmark jump up in that? Or are you guys slowly going to increase those runs batch after batch? Or, or what does that present look like? Just for something tangible for the listeners to, to kind of say, oh, this is what it might look like over the next several years for that growth to come exponentially down the line. Yeah, I can tell you exactly what it looks like. And really, we, as I mentioned earlier, we're hamstringed at the very early onset because when you want to purchase four-year barrels, and let's talk about like our 2021 release, be able to purchase four-year product, there's not a whole lot of that that you can that goes around. And if it is available, it's expensive. So we were able to purchase what we felt comfortable enough doing sort of like our pilot and getting it out there. Um, but after you kind of start going down that path, then you start buying three-year, you buy two-year, you buy one-year product. And as you can imagine, it gets a little bit cheaper as you start going down this path. And once you start doing that, you're like, okay, I'm going to keep buying more and more and more and more of each one of them. And so I'm slowly going to start scaling it up. So between 2021, I think was uh, about the same we're going to do in 2022. So it's about, I don't know, 11 and a half thousand might creep up to about 11, seven. Um, you're going to see that happen again in 2023. 2024, we're looking somewhere around 19 and a half thousand in regards of the bourbon. The rye, uh, we're depict or we're probably going to estimate there's going to be about 12 and a half thousand bottles between uh, this year and then we're going to do 12 and a half thousand in 2023 as well. Uh, 2024, scaling that up to around 18,000. And then when we get to 2025 is not our first scale point yet, but we're going to get a little bit closer. Uh, actually, it's going to be the same as 2024, around 19 and a half. But the rye is going to scale again to around 24,000 bottles. And once we get to 2026, this is when all the new make that we had started putting down back in, yeah, it's Q4 2021, right? 21, Maybe? yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so back, so that's when uh, 2026 starts rolling around. And we are looking at our first scale point of around 100,000 bottles for the bourbon. And that's because we finally have our new make that's going to be available. And when I say our new make that's available, it's just a percentage of it that's going to be available. Our goal is to make it a six-year blend uh, for all three of the components that are in there. We were putting down this product uh, at all three distilleries. And so it'll be around four to five years, depending on who we're pulling from and everything like that inside of there. So... 2026, around 100,000 bottles. The Ryle skeleton around 30,000. Same thing with 2027 uh, with the bourbon. But on the rye side, we were looking at our final scale point, which is around 50,000 bottles. And so that's the rye is going to be around a quarter of the business in the future. So 2027 is when we finally hit our first, or should I say a max scale point for, for the rye. The bourbon in 2028, expecting somewhere around like 150,000 bottles. Uh, same thing in 2029. And once we get into 2030 is when we start hitting our final scale point. Plus, it's going to be six years between every single component and potentially even six years plus between all components. And we're going to have this sort of like cyclical way, uh, a pattern to be able to do this. And so we're going to looking around 210 to 250,000 bottles. <laughs> That's a it's a big like vari variance in there uh, only because we've only done it on a small scale and we've only done it you know once or twice at Bardstown Bourbon Company. So we've got a, a few more tests that we need to run to be able to see what that looks like. But we ran all kinds of projections and to figure out exactly, well, how many barrels do we need to purchase at a particular year and how many are we going to dump and how's that going to deplete from inventory of a new make that we did at a particular year as well. So I've got 
a lot of spreadsheets that basically say we did 150 barrels of this in this particular year. And then fast forward six years, I'm going to drain 54 barrels out of there. And then the year after that, I'm going to drain another 54 barrels. And then the year after that, I've got X amount of barrels. And so basically these lots continue to age uh, over time. But at some point down the down the line, it starts getting into this sort of like cyclical motion where we know that we're going to be pulling, um, you know, like 150 from one lot, 50 from another lot and 25 from another lot. And that potentially gets us our, our, our end product. That's kind of where it, it, it went. There's a lot of, I guess it's hard to talk about it without like looking at the spreadsheet, but <laughs> that's one of those things that it's, it was, it was a lot of figuring out to, you know, look at the roadmap of, of how big do you want to go and, and how does the recipe that Ryan came up with and how is it scale and how do you kind of put all these together? And the nice thing is we got some cushion in there to make it to six year, but then we'll have some cool single barrel offerings and stuff will age on, you know, held on for longer aging and, and whatnot. So that's, that's when it gets fun, you know? I mean, it's already fun, but that's when it gets really fun. <laughs> that's when it becomes more of a headache. Remember single barrels are pain in the ass. I know, but I kind of want to go back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> So when you guys start to pay back the investors, when they start to to see that come out and it, and it fully goes back uh, to to all you all, are you going to leave that wheel that's that's been generating that cyclical thing there and say and keep it just you two and say now what we have tied up in here we're going to do it all ourselves or how long do you all see yourself doing the fundraising? How long do you see yourselves doing? You said, right. You know what your production will be is what heaven Hill will do in a day. It's like, okay, well, once we get to, once we get to 2028, are we having conversations of, okay, this is the pace at which we were talking about scaling to, and then we keep it there or do the conversations become, let's go into the next phase and the next phase. Is, <laughs> the, yeah, the next phase is total domination. It's, it's do we want to start the, yeah, did we start this process all over again? Is that now we're twenty million yeah. down every year? You know, in order to that's the conversations you know with people that have made it in this space. You know that they thought you know you get to a certain level, you're done. You know, like, but it didn't happen that way. It's like no, people wanted more and more and more. We'll have to see what the market's like. You know, in say four to five years, and kind of see what if it's still exploding like we think it is. You know, we might have to look at that, but it too. I don't know. It just depends what we're comfortable with. You know, it's like we, I don't know that we want to be the next, not that we'll ever get there, Heaven Hill or Beam or even. We're not you know, going to get there. <laughs> or even just like a brand like Jefferson's does a ton of case counts, you know, a very popular brand. It's like you hear what they do and you're like, gosh, I don't know if I want to be that. You know, you're having 20, 30, you know, salespeople going around this country, you know, trying to do case sales and promote and this and that. And so it, I, I would never say never because as a person, I've always like reached goals and then try to push myself to what's next. Not just because I need more, but it's always fun to see. You just never know how much potential you have until you go through it. And then you just learn that there's more potential. And it, it's not even from a money. I don't even care about the money. I just love, I'm having the time of my life, like learning and just reinventing myself and learning new things. And I'm sure Kenny is too. I don't want to speak for him, but I'm sure he is as well. But it's just one of those things like uh, this is just a fun process for me to like just rein reinvent and and re-understand myself and where I want to be and where do we want this brand to be moving forward. Yeah, I you're right. Uh, I'll kind of get back to Brian's question here in a second. But yeah, I, th I think that's the thing I look forward to as well 
is doing this full time and getting into it and making this you know this hobby that we once started into the hopefully I don't want I don't want to go into it as a career and think oh gosh now I got to go and hustle my ass off to kind of take it to the next level like I want to get to the point where we're we're having fun and I don't want to say we're coasting but I do I I just I kind of want to coast off and pace just be the pace and I don't want to call it early retirement but I kind of want it to feel that way you know being able to say that I'm retired ish by 45 would be amazing or probably 47 or whatever it's going to be by then 10 years behind your goal it's fine yeah. And so I think that's that's a cool thing to be able to say. Like I, I that'd be really cool to make it happen. But I don't want to say I'm I'm retired. There's always going to be a lot of work uh still associated with it. Brian to kind of ask or answer what you had mentioned before is like, you know, do you once you get to that scale point of what you said in twenty twenty eight to twenty thirty one, do you start figuring out what's next completely by accident and happenstance and whatever and just random chance? That when we said, we're looking at all this spreadsheet modeling and we originally started talking to Bardstown and they said, well, your minimum is 300. And then I started looking at things and I said, well, what if we go to 400? And so I started like doing the calculations. So I said, okay, if we did 400, that means we got to go this much further in debt, but the return could be a little bit greater on the other side of this one. And long, lo and behold, fast forward up until today, when we get hit with our first big federal excise tax bill. And I realized, holy crap, that's a lot of money that we'll have to pay the government if we, if, and I started figuring it out, I'm sure I've talked about it before, but when I started looking at the modeling, when I say we get to our final scale point, if we were to keep paying the federal excise tax that we were paying at, let's say, our, our bottling facility at Barstown Bourbon Company, because they don't have the craft tax, they pay the big boy tax, it's $13.50 a proof gallon, we'd be paying the government around $975,000 a year. So I said, well, let's go ahead and figure out what does that look like to do it on our own. So we have to get our own DSP, we have to do a few different things. But at our final scale point for everything that we're going to be doing, is somewhere around 85,000 gallons, 85,000 proof gallons. So we're just below the 100,000 of what you would need to kind of keep that tax level low. So really to kind of go to the next phase, because if once you go over 100,000, like there's there's no turning back. Well, maybe there is a turning back, but once you go over that 100,000, like it doesn't matter if you do 110,000 or you do 110 million, you're still getting charged at same exact tax. So really you have to go big, to make that that to make that worthwhile and i think that's really where i kind of look at that as sort of like the gate to say if we have to make this decision like it's it's going to cost a lot of money to to really start blowing past that and that almost kind of gets into the realm of holy crap do we need to own our own distillery to keep our cost of goods down even more and that is that decision starts at thirty million dollars. So I don't know. I don't know if that's the uh, if that's the route I want to go either. You know, I, it's as I'd mentioned once once we get to that that point, I, I'd love to be able to kind of take this hobby into a full time job and and not even a full time job. I, I want to kind of coast. I don't want to. I don't want to hustle. I don't want to have to do the typical nine to five. I just kind of want to work on my own terms when we get to that point. Yeah, and we'll we'll be able to because we'll have to have our own warehouse and we'll be able to have a single barrel picks, a gift shop, you know, a tasting room and this and that. And that's, that'll be fun. Cause we can still just create that experience from a whiskey geek standpoint, you know, and really elevate that experience. And, uh, 
I think, you know, and meet people and that, that, that's, that sounds awesome to me. I hope we have the, get to be able to make that decision, Brian, that we can say, nope, we're, yep. <laughs> we're, uh, we're not going past a hundred thousand proof gallons. We're going to stay here. Hopefully. I think we will have that to get to that decision, but I hope we get to, we'll cross that to at least make another it. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Down the line. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks guys for diving into that really interesting topic to kind of break down into and kind of get some more. Uh, visuals know, it wasn't, that. wasn't about whiskey and it was about spreadsheets so hopefully people like a little bit of money talk when it comes down to this i pictured shark it, it is a business. the entire time mr wonderful just there <laughs> you know with his fingers on his fingers tapping them back and forth just ready to make a ready to make a that's royalty. been my life for uh for the past uh 18 months <laughs> just <laughs> calling the people i know and selling the vision you know selling the dream the time of this airing we have about six, seven months till we need our next round of funding. So surprisingly, we've been very successful and, and I'm very grateful for all the investors taking a chance on us. And so, Dude, work on a bourbon cookie recipe, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> make, make a way to the heart. That's how, we can, that's how we can pay our uh, barrel purchases through bourbon you. cookies. <laughs> it's, it's a million dollar idea and you need that every year. <laughs> All right, guys, reminder, if you guys have podcast topics you want to hear us talk about, if you all have questions for the guys, feel free to email us, podcast at PursuitSpirits.com. Subscribe to the podcast if you have not. Go ahead and rate us. Let us know if you're enjoying what you're hearing. We're loving hearing the feedback from you guys. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, and we'll see you all next time behind the pursuit.